Have you gotten to the age yet where everything you like is retro? It's a weird moment, man. It's a weird moment. Hey, welcome back to the show. This is Spatular Extremities, and this is the first vintage fanzine review. And for the first vintage fanzine review today, I am going to be talking about the short-lived horror fanzine, quote-unquote, Sleazorama. Now, if you like horror, you probably know that there's a species of movie that is very heavy on the violence and very heavy on the nudity. And at one time, these movies did not get shown in your regular theaters. You had to either rent them on video, or before that, you had to go to some theater in a crummy neighborhood while wearing a trench coat and come in around midnight. And this is sort of the kind of movie that Sleazorama is geared toward. But at least at its inception, it went one step further than that and it focused more on the Scream Queens in these B-grade grindhouse movies. Now, as far as I can tell, Sleazorama only had three issues. They came out in 1993 and 1994. And the editor is someone who calls himself, and I'm, I'm guessing it's a he, calls himself the Crimson, the Crimson Executioner. Though I do suspect that the Crimson Executioner is also the person who wrote all of the articles because the article bylines had names like Hugo First and Dick Hertz. So unless these are all pe different people writing under different pseudonyms, I just get the feeling that the Crimson Executioner and all of his writers are the same person. Now, I say that Sleazorama is a horror fanzine, and the editor says it's a horror fanzine in the, in the opening editorial in the first issue, but you would be forgiven for being a little bit confused, because if you look at the cover of the first issue, and really if you look at all of the covers, it really kind of looks like a porno magazine. See, issue number one, for example, has a topless woman right there on the cover. And I think you would be forgiven for being a little bit distracted by that. Now, looking at this through 2018 eyes, it's kind of hard to see some, this cheap photocopied looking thing and assume that it was meant to be pornographic because nowadays, obviously, you can send a freaking high-quality, dirty picture across the globe in less than a second. So it's interesting if you keep in mind that hardcore pornography in 1993 and 1994 was illegal in Britain. In fact, as far as I know, it was illegal in most parts of the United States. It, they just were, except for California, because, you know, we're crazy here. But just keep this in mind, because it's actually going to become important later in the review. Now, the first issue is sort of a grab bag of related content. There is 
there's profiles of directors. There are a few reviews of movies. There are a few plugs for other fanzines, which the Crimson Executioner may or may not have had a hand in writing. And interspersed throughout the whole thing, there are a lot of dirty pictures. And obviously, if you're curious, I'll leave links to the to all all the issues in the description. But my guess is that some of these pictures go right up to the point of illegal. And what I mean by that is illegal by 1993 British standards. I don't mean I don't mean anything crazy illegal. But it kind of works in the first issue because the magazine is going for this really sleazy, trashy feel. And I'll read you some of the writing just to give you kind of a sense of how this all operates. So this is, a, for example, this is a profile of an actor named Lino Rafa. And this, uh, this was written by Mr. Hugo First. It says, although to date Lino Rafa has only made one movie, Drill Bit, his awesome presence as the drilling, killing machine has blasted him to notoriety. When Alex Chandon started casting for the role, he, need, he knew he need look no further. Drillbit has been a critical success equal to Chandon's previous project, Bad Karma. So much so that Troma UK have shown great interest in putting up the money to remake Bad Karma, and Lino has been offered the choice of two parts. One is a Hare Krishna disciple, the other is a butcher who gets the one line, that'll be two pounds, please, Bill. Lino is still deciding. Since I appeared in Drillbit, I've received many suggestions, says Lino. One part required a fat person to wake up on a tube, but I felt this didn't offer enough of a challenge. He has also been offered the role as a psycho who kills a man and woman in an alley, cutting the woman's head off while having anal intercourse, but the project has been shelved for the time being. So you get the idea here. The fanzine has this tone that is very fast-paced and very factual, but also very tongue-in-cheek. Now, the centerpieces of each issue are a feature called Verses, and this, is, this feature just really works. And what he does is he puts two movies up in two separate columns and sets the pivotal moments up side by side. It's not a totally original idea, but it really works, especially with the writing style. And I'll, I'll read the example. This, uh, this one is from a movie called Exorcism versus the Sadist of Notre Dame. And for Exorcism, it says, uh, 0.00 minutes, pre-title sequence, close-up of daggers on table, Long shot of Anna, a slim Lena Rome, tied naked except for her kinky boots, and spread-eagled on a wooden frame. Her blonde tormentor arrives dressed in a bikini bottom and whips her, prodding the butt into Anna's vaginal area. Blood drips from her captor's mouth. Title and credits. A chicken is sacrificed. Abductor rubs the blood over her breasts and then smears her helpless captive. Shots of audience interested reaction. The performance ends with Anna being stabbed to death. The duo take their curtain calls. And then uh, next to that, it, it, there's more to it, but next to that, the sadist of Notre Dame. 0.00, .00 minutes. Shot of building. Three men stand in the, in the doorway. Camera slowly zooms in. Morose organ music. Old man walks along pissing on the street. Vogel sits on a pavement. Sense of hopelessness. Ben Laurie arrives. Men go to work. 
Titles and credits against shots of Notre Dame and Franco's eyeball. 4.10 minutes. Mathis Vogel walks off, walks the streets of Paris. A car follows him. A blonde lady gives him a lift. She is a whore. Vogel kills whores. So right there you have the style, a style that really fits the substance of uh, Sleazerama. It, it just works. It's very short, very terse. There are definitely, a, there are a couple of very risque photos, but they're stills from the movie. So they're within the context of what he's writing about. It's still, it works very well. Now there's another thing in here that I find rather funny, and this goes, this is a thread throughout the three issues. You can imagine that the people who create and star and in and write about these movies is probably a pretty small community. And so throughout the three issues, it seems that the Crimson Executioner's Muse was a B-grade movie star named Michelle Bauer. And now Michelle Bauer, just for some background, was the penthouse pet in, it was 1981, but I think it was July. See, I do research, people, because I care. And Michelle Bauer, on I have her Rotten Tomatoes page up. Now, the highest, the, the most probably well-known movie that Michelle Bauer has been in was Reform School Girls, which has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 38. And there are only two that even have Rotten Tomatoes scores, and Reform School Girls has the highest rating. But she was also in such wonderful films as Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, Death Row Diner, Dr. Alien, Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama, Assault of the Party Nerds, Scream Queen Hot Tub Party, uh, oh, Puppet Master 3, that's, well, that's almost mainstream, uh, Invasion of the Scream Queens, let's see, uh, Vampire Vixens from Venus, Attack of the 60-Foot Centerfold, and I'm looking for the best, oh, the best one, my personal favorite, Gingerbread Man, or Ginger Dead Man 2, Passion of the Crust. And just as an aside, I think it would be awesome to be 80 years old and say, yeah, when I was young, I was in the movies. I starred in Ginger Dead Man 2, Passion of the Crust. You know, on beyond one of those Where Are They Now shows in however many years. But as I was saying, the Crimson Executioner seems to have found his muse in uh, Michelle Bauer. Uh, this is something that he wrote in the first issue, and this is on uh, KGA, Kidnapped Girls Agency. Earlier this year, Cold Sweat shocked a nation with its revelations of the hidden bondage career of Michelle Bauer. Well, now Sleazorama has managed to unearth some stills of an even more powerful combination, both Michelle Bauer and Linnea Quigley in the same bondage movie KGA, Kidnapped Girls Agency, the prequel to HOM's second Mondo Bondo video, Girls in Trouble, also starring Michelle Bauer. Kidnapped Girls Agency is the story of O meets the perils of Pauline. It's the Avengers by way of Rocky and Bullwinkle, claims its director Jeffrey Merrick, 
Michelle, once again using the pseudonym Kim Bittner, plays Tracy, or Tracy Taylor, who along with Andy Baltimore get involved in tracking down the kidnapped innocent young blonde Kathy and her sultry auburn-haired roommate Tina. KGA's motto being, we always get your girl. Now I will return to the lovely Ms. Bauer, but by issue number two, the Crimson Executioner has seen some success with his first issue of Sleazorama. But issue number two is where Sleazorama starts to go a little bit off the rails. Because this is where he starts to focus less on the movies and more on the dirty pictures. Now, there's still content, there's still movie reviews, there's still the side-by-side -side with the Versus feature. And there's actually a rather long section that gives short profiles of various Scream Queens throughout the year. And that really works. It, you know, obviously it's fitting in with the original focus of the magazine. But this issue is where Sleazorama starts to go from being a fanzine about these B-grade horror movies and starts to focus more on just overt pornography. And I really think that that is much to the fanzine's detriment. I know this is just my personal opinion, but I get the feeling that you could have gotten plenty of different magazines in Britain at the time that dealt far more extensively in that topic. And in issue number two, you start getting straight-up porn reviews. He starts to talk more about, um, like, pornographic anime. There's even one PG-rated still shot of a tentacle porn movie, which is rather funny considering what a meme that has become 24, 25 years later. And finally, the issue is significantly shorter than the first one. It's only about 20 pages which is about normal for, for fanzines, but it just seems like in your second issue you should try to kind of give more content than the first. So this really represents a sophomore slump. But of course I would be remiss in my duties if I didn't mention the Michelle Bauer thread. And this is a review of a movie called Cleopatra's Bondage Revenge. Okay. Shot on video, as all the Michelle Bauer bondage films are, Cleopatra's Bondage Revenge tells the tale of a strict professor and his pretty assistant at work in the tomb of the Queen of the Nile, although the professor would prefer to be working away on his assistant. The set would make Doctor Who look, look a lavish production, and in keeping with the 80s bondage videos, the performers try their hand at acting, though without the help of a script. Night falls and the pretty blonde assistant decides to have a peep inside the sarcophagus to check out the mummified Egyptian queen. A few snips and those bandages are soon off, revealing the well-preserved body of Pia Sands, a.k.a. Michelle Bauer. The tan scream queen is, is soon stripping... Bleh, that is alliteration hell. The tanned scream queen is soon stripping the college girl, who is in equally great shape. A bit of light paddling is in order, and the submissive slave promises to obey the queen and be her handmaiden. They make love. Bauer seems to be really enjoying her role and looks, looks good in the Cleopatra makeup. As she once said, 
I like to search for a part of me that I can connect to the role and I try to keep my work as personal as I can. With that in mind, she and her new assistant then get to work on the nasty professor, putting him into some designer bondage gear and paddling him, tickling him, and generally being very tame. The film ends with Cleo vanquished by the light, or yeah, vanquished by the light and turning to dust, leaving the professor sobbing, I want my mummy. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> Sorry. I want my mummy. Oh my god, how awful. Uh, someone out there do me a favor and try to find Cleopatra's bondage revenge. That's that's awesome. Anyway, I'm supposed to be doing a review here. Now, issue number three of Sleazorama is where the Crimson Executioner tries to go big time. This is the issue that where... Uh, this issue came out in glossy, as opposed to the cheap photocopied thing that had come before it. And I have something of a theory on this, because it is in, in the editorial in issue number three. Our friend the Crimson Executioner actually talks about how he is upping the porn content in the magazine in order to pay for the glossy printing. See, he knows by now that it's the dirty pictures that are attracting the readers. And so, in order to attract more readers, he is printing more dirty pictures. And, once again, this is my opinion because I am a reviewer, but I really think that this is where the thing just totally goes off the rails. Because <clears throat> there comes a point where that kind of content has diminishing returns. The Crimson Executioner is obviously not Larry Flint, or Hugh Hefner, or Bob Guccione. In other words, there's already heavy competition when it comes to this kind of material, and a small independent fanzine just is not going to be able to compete there. And in this issue, you get a lot more of the porn reviews, and you get book reviews, and you get more anime reviews. That makes it, that comes back. And it really takes away the focus from what had, you know, it takes away what had been a pretty decently focused fanzine on a very particular subgenre. Now, there's one rather interesting section where he profiles various women who did who did sort of topless or nude modeling before they became famous. And that's kind of interesting because it's got uh, Yvonne DiCarlo, who played Lily Munster. It's got Julie Newmar, who played Catwoman. And it's got Sherilyn Fenn from the original Twin Peaks series. And I got to admit that that's kind of nifty. But at the same time, it really has lost its focus on where it was, where it was. And in the process, it probably lost its core audience by trying to appeal to a more general audience that's going to be way more fickle than the kind of obsessive movie fans that this was originally geared toward. Now, what's interesting is that in the second issue, he actually talks about how he thought 
that there was only going to be one issue. But the first issue went over so well that he made another one. And there is reason for me to believe that he decided to make it a threefer and then kill it off. A, there's an advertisement in the third issue for a new fanzine called Pornorama, which I have and I may or may not review. I don't know. I don't think it's that interesting personally. And second, there is an article toward the very end entitled Michelle Bauer Quits. And the Crimson Executioner writes, I first heard the news around late November when that fine program The Word were putting together a piece on Scream Queens. I had a phone call from their office asking me which Scream Queens to approach. I, of course, mentioned Michelle Bauer, to which The Word informed me that they tried to call her, calling her, but she had turned her back on the industry and had become a full-time housewife. A meeting with Fred Olin Ray the next week confirmed this report. I was amazed as I'd only just met her a few weeks earlier at a convention in New York, where she seemed friendly, professional, and happy to talk with any loon who accosted her. After the day's work of signing posters and, st and standing around for photographs, she wasn't the sort to take the money and run. She would hang around the bar and be quite amiable. That's how we got chatting. She mentioned how she would like to come to a festival in England, and even handed me her private telephone number. So at the ripe old age of 36, Michelle has retired, her swan song being a part in Roger Corman's Dinosaur Island. She has been a busy actress, willing to try her hand at most things other actresses wouldn't touch. I fear there may be some snickering among the readership when I use the word actress, but that would be purely a snobbish attitude. There aren't so many great female roles in the film world that an actress can afford to turn down B-movie chances if the work comes along. The trouble is, once you're in the B-movie slot, it's hard to climb out, so you'd better grin and bear it. Michelle grinned and bared everything. And I'm going to let that be the bookend for the review on Sleazorama. And overall, I would say that the Sleazorama story is a cautionary tale on forgetting your niche and trying to appeal to a broader audience when there are already people out there who do that thing better than you and have a much bigger name than you. The first issue and parts of the other issues take a subject that most people kind of laugh at and treats that issue seriously but with a, an appropriate amount of irreverence but it quickly loses its focus and becomes kind of a a cheap sock drawer magazine very fast. So, you know, if, if any of this interests you in Sleazorama, be sure to check it out. I mean, it doesn't cost you anything. You can look at it. Of course, you know, as with all this stuff, I think it's pretty obvious that the thing is uh, not safe for the HR department. And it's probably not something you want to give to your kid if said kid is under 16 or so. But sort of my verdict would be that this is candy for people who like this sort of thing. 
It's certainly not going to be life-changing, but, you know, if you're into this sort of thing, if you like horror movies, if you like, especially you like B-grade, if you like Grindhouse, if you like that sort of stuff, eh, give it a look. It's kind of fun. So, if, if there is something that you would like to hear more of in these reviews, or if there is something you would like to hear less of in the, these reviews, uh, you can at me on Twitter. That's at Spatular Gene. That's at Spatular G-E-N-E. And uh, you can leave comments at the various podcasting sites I'm on. I just got up on Google Play. Um, I'm up on Stitcher. I don't think I'm up on iTunes yet, but that shouldn't be too long. Uh, I'm up on Anchor, up on a few others. But those are the big ones. Oh, and if you think this sounds fun and you'd like to co-host, um, if you, or if you think you could, uh, if you think that your co-hosting skills would improve the show, definitely get in touch with me. And that's preferably on Twitter because I don't really check YouTube YouTube comments. YouTube's been around since I was in my twenties, and the commenters have not really improved since then. But with that, I hope you have an excellent weekend, and I will be talking to you pretty soon. I think the next review is going to be on an old fanzine called Asian Trash Cinema. Hell, I saw that title and I couldn't turn it down. So, alright, enjoy your weekend. Talk to you soon. Goodbye.